to book of 1 Thessalonians again, chapter 2, verse 8 through 12. We're going to read verse 7 to start as well. Tonight, the message, your heart and my heart, a shepherd. Let's read, starting in verse 7. I want to add verse 7 here. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses... And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you should walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now remember last time we were together, we talked about a right representation, how our lives are to be uh, in, in such a way, an example of Christ where people will see Jesus, the true Jesus, the biblical Jesus, not the one who has black eyes and a beaten face because of the way that, that we have treated people in, in the name of Jesus. Now tonight, though, Paul and, and the guys here, we see their heart for the people, credible heart that Paul had for the people, this heart of a shepherd. And my heart for you guys tonight is to see that that heart isn't just for the people that we might call shepherds, like Pastor Jeff, the shepherd over this church, me, the shepherd over this ministry. It's for all of us, the guys in your men's ministry, the leadership guys, they're shepherds, but you as well. God is calling all men to be shepherds, especially in this day and time they're living in. I mean, these are crazy times. The sheep are truly without a shepherd. And God has called all of us to be men who would take this responsibility, who would see the need, recognizing that, you know, it's funny how God calls us sheep, right? And we've heard this before, but, you know, sheep aren't the smartest animals in the pen. They're, they're pretty dumb. And yet, he is the shepherd, and we are the sheep. He is our, our one who, who watches over us. And so we see this here. Paul, he, he talks about a nursing mother's love and how she cherishes her children. He talks about a father's, how he teaches his, his own children and this, this idea of that's how we treated you guys. That's what we were to you. I see that so much as a heart of a shepherd. Speaks of this, this idea of loving them, that they would not only know Paul and the guy's love for them, but they would know God's love for them through them and how they loved and just as we talked about shepherds, you guys know the story of, of Peter and his, uh, his call to be a shepherd in John chapter 21. We all know that passage of Scripture, right, where Jesus is there. He's, he's having, he prepares breakfast for the guys on the beach after they're out fishing, and, and they're all pretty dejected. And, and they, Peter sees this Jesus, and he, you know, they go to Jesus, and he's there, and he prepares food for him. He starts talking to him. And, of course, we know he gives, he gives Jesus... He gives Peter the, uh, the, the school of shepherding class right there on the beach. What does he say three times? Peter, if you love me. Now, Peter, of course, remember, he's just a man like you and us. Okay, we, we see him now. We see him in Scripture, you know, 
Catholic Church thinks he was the, the first pope, but he was just a guy like us. He was a fisherman, not the mighty man of God in Acts, not the great apostle. He's just a fisherman, and, and for the most part, a knucklehead who puts his foot in his mouth, who rebukes Jesus, who's the one who, only one in the Bible where Jesus calls him Satan. I mean, goodness gracious, poor Peter. But we love him because we're just like him. And in this, though, we see that, that he's called out of darkness. He's, and, and really, you think about what his calling was that none could imagine. Imagine Peter's family, what Peter became in this calling because of Jesus. Wow, the change, the radical change. So much so that if you go to Israel, um, over Peter's house, the Catholic church there has built like a little spaceship. And those of you who have been to Israel, it's a trip. But you walk in, and it's literally built right over where Peter's house was there in Capernaum. He's just, a, gosh, a stone's throw away from the actual um, synagogue right there where Jesus taught. And you walk in there, you walk over there, and you look down there, and there's a bunch of rocks and rooms and everything. But, I mean, he was, he's, he was, he's revered, obviously, very highly in the, the Catholic Church, but he's just a fisher of men. That's all he was, called out a darkness Called to a life none could have imagined, um, just as we are in all his humanity, to become a fisherman. And, and in this story, though, Jesus, of course, tells him to do three things. Simple instructions. Peter, if you love me. And, of course, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yeah, 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 yeah. We know the story. But if you love me, what does he say? Okay, feed my lambs. This is shepherding 101. Feed my lambs. Promote the spiritual well-being of the young, Peter. Okay. Then he says, tend my sheep. Attend to their needs as a shepherd does, as a real shepherd does to real sheep. Protect them. Watch over them. Feed them. Corral them. Keep them from going off the cliff. But then he says, lastly, feed my sheep means to continue this process of growth and instruction as they age, as they mature. If you love me, Peter, if you love me, do this. Because you say you love me. And so that's what I believe, though, that God is calling all of us to. Every single one of us. If you say you love Jesus, then he is asking us to shepherd his sheep, to have a heart for his sheep. This calling that I believe that is for every single man in this room that in response to the love that God has poured out upon our lives, would we in turn take and see these sheep without a shepherd and minister them and love them in such a way that rightly represents the true shepherd, the great shepherd. And so we see here, of course, that Peter himself, in his last letter, oh, actually his first letter, he, he continues his theme. He learned his lesson way back. With Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, Peter never forgot the principle of shepherding. Because what does he say to the elders? Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And for us, we're to shepherd that flock that's among us. You all have, shep- you all have sheep in your flock, wherever that might be. Shepherd the flock of God, not by compulsion, but willing, not because you're supposed to, because of your love. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor is being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock, being a right representation of Jesus to them. And he, Peter, of course, was teaching others to be a shepherd 
just like Jesus was to him. Be this type of shepherd. And I believe these last days, man, that's what the people need. They are lost. They are confused. They are scattered. They're running after anything and everything in this world. And we need to be those ones that, hey, no, 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 come, come this way. Come this way. Let's get back over here. Let's get over here. Truly ministering to them. And so in our passage, though, Paul, of course, again, addressing the lies that were out there. The Jews were, were trying to spread, namely that they were, the reason why they left was that they didn't really care. They were only into this thing for fame and for glory, also for dishonest gain, to make a buck. But again, Paul reminds them of the truth three times. Remember, he says, you are witnesses as you know. And in this passage, I see Paul revealing to us his heart, Timothy's heart, Silvanus's heart for the believers this heart of a shepherd, the heart of God in Jesus. And in this passage, four things tonight. Number one, Paul's commitment as a shepherd, verse 8. Number two, Paul's concern as a shepherd, verse 9. Number three, Paul's conduct as a shepherd, verse 10. And Paul's challenge in being a shepherd, verse 11 and 12. So number one, Paul's commitment as a shepherd, verse 8. Let's go back to the scripture. So affectionately longing for you, We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us, because we loved you. And we see this commitment as a shepherd and what a commitment it was. Not like anything else that he could ever or he would ever commit to. When Paul there on the road to Damascus was struck down by Jesus, knocked off his high horse and called to be the apostle Paul, a shepherd is what he was called to be. A radical life change in all of us. Why were you saved? Why did God knock you off your high horse? There's a purpose in it, guys. There's a plan that God had. Not for me and you to sit back and just take all the the blessings that come from being saved. That's part of it. No, 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 no. To give back in response to be those shepherds. If you love me, if you love me. We see this that... That this commitment was based upon love, of course, verse 7, as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. It speaks of a, a mother's love for a child. Incredible. Now, many of you guys know that I am a new grandfather six months ago. That, uh, amen, my, uh, my youngest son, who is married to Pastor Dave's middle daughter, Natalie, they gave us a granddaughter. And it is so beautiful to go to the house there and watch Natalie be this mother, this, this one who's cherishing her, our little Joni and the way that she has matured into this mother, just, it's, it's just amazing. It's beautiful to watch. Well, that's, just, that's it. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And because of Paul's love for them as shepherds, number one, Paul was committed to love the people. Committed to love the people as Jesus. Paul says, affectionately longing for you in verse 8, This is a love so deep as to be compared to a mother's love. We're talking some, let me guys remember how your mom loved you. Man, you're never going to forget that. I mean, dads love us and fathers teach us, but man, do our moms love us. And those are the ones we miss the most. That's the one I miss. I actually have a picture of my mom in in our leadership book that I'm reading right now. That's my bookmark. See it every day. Hey, mom, how you doing? Affectionately longing for you. And in this idea, this love so deep, remember what Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, treat my sheep this way. Love the sheep the same way I love them. 
A love for God which translates to a love for others. In the good times, when all is well, in the bad times, when, when the sheep are driving you crazy. And Jesus, of course, even said to love who? Your enemies. Man, such a credible high standard, isn't it? Easy to love those who love you. Easy to love those who help you out and, and bring you Starbucks, man. How bad is where's how bad, man? Brother brings me Starbucks every Sunday morning, baby. It's just it's just jam and juice. I love it. Easy to love those guys, but man, the tough ones, the tough times, your families, your kids, yes, even your co-workers, huh, your boss, your neighbors. Paul was committed to love the people. Number two, Paul was committed to teach the people. Committed to teach. We were well pleased to impart or share with you the gospel, the word of God. And one way they showed their love was to teach them, instructing them. We get to verse 8 there where he talks about this, or verse 10, or wherever it is about the father, his love for the children. In verse 11 there, Paul committed to teach, especially the way to be saved. And as shepherds, guys, that has to be in our conversation. That has to be in our heart. It's one thing to talk to them about, you know, the ball game that's on tonight, whatever, but we've we got to some way somehow figure out and ask God to open those doors for us to impart the gospel into this conversation, to share with them the word of God. Shepherd teaches the sheep and points them to Jesus. Number three, though, Paul was committed with no limitations. No limitations. No limit. No limit to Paul's love. We were well pleased to impart to you also our own lives. Man, think of these guys back in these days. They were willing to risk their lives to share the gospel with the people. I I don't know, guys. I don't know if someone called me up and said, hey, Rob, let's head over to China. Let's head over to Iran. Let's Let's go preach the gospel over there. I might say that might be for Naz. Naz would be the guy for that. <laughs> Naz is my brother. He, he, he can learn their language better than me. I don't know. But they were willing to risk their own lives. No limitations. Turn with me to John 10. And we see in here Jesus talking about this idea of what shepherds are called to be. John chapter 10. This is Jesus, of course, speaking. Jesus, the good shepherd, the heading in this passage in my Bible. But verse 10 Of course, we know that's passion. The thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, sad to say, many in the church are nothing but hirelings. They're in it because it's a job. They're in it because they got a degree. They're in it because they got a paycheck, but they're not sheep. They're hirelings. They're punching the clock. They show up. My job, teach the Sunday morning service. You guys are on your own after that. No. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The devil coming after the sheep. I'm not going to get in the way of the devil. No way. You're on your own. Sorry, you made your own mistake. It's your sin. It got you in trouble in the first place, so that's, that's your responsibility to deal with the devil. No, that's a hireling. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Verse 13, the hireling flees because he's a hireling 
and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. I am a good shepherd to them. And the world needs shepherds who are committed to the end, you guys. You think about Paul and his commitment. You, you read about him in Acts, Acts 14, where he's preaching the gospel. And what happens to Paul? They drag him, they stone him, drag him out of the city, and they leave him for dead. That's how he was treated for being a shepherd, for preaching the gospel. I don't know. <laughs> he stoned me once, and he'd be like, okay, <laughs> I'm done with this. <laughs> the world needs shepherds who are committed to the end, not hirelings who are in it for themselves, for their own gain and fame. So number one, Paul's commitment as a shepherd. Number two, though, Paul's concern as a shepherd. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that, you might, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Paul's concerned as a shepherd for the sheep. So concerned. Amazing concern here. We know from Acts that Paul's trade was a tent maker, right? It was his day job. And Paul would work as a tent maker whenever he could to supply the money that they needed in the ministry, not wanting to take money from the church to be a burden. He, would, he, would, he, he had double duty, preaching by day and working by night. And there's a lot of pastors that are running churches just like that, guys. They have a day job, and yet they're running their churches as well. We here, because of you all and your support, we're blessed. We don't, we don't have to do the double duty. We, we're able to spend 100% of our time focused on the work of the ministry. Thank you guys so much for that. We are blessed here. But Paul, in an effort not to be a burden or a bad witness, he worked while he preached. He worked while he preached the gospel and taught them, even though, even though, in verse 6, even though they were apostles and they could have made demands for support like other apostles were doing. But Paul was so concerned about these guys, no way. He wouldn't allow it because he was a shepherd. He, he, he knew of the abuses of the so-called shepherds that were already working the circuit, so to speak. He knew that they were fleecing the flock. He knew the false teachers especially. He wasn't going to allow it. Nope. So because of his concern for them, as a shepherd, Paul purposed, number one, not to stumble anyone. And guys, this has to be in our heart. Man, not to stumble anyone means to cause their belief and faith in God to be damaged. Heavy price to pay when that happens. We will give an account. See, Paul would rather deny himself than cause the sheep to stumble. And brothers, we've got to deny ourselves. There are things going on in your lives, things that happen out there that if you stumble and you fall, you're going to take people with you. I remember like 28 years ago, the assistant pastor of the church, Ones who many, well, I can say many because a lot of you guys are, <laughs> there's people in this church who still remember this. But the reason I bring this up is that he stumbled and he fell. And there was a guy that was so on fire for Jesus. And I still remember this guy that when that happened, because he was so tied into this pastor, so close to him, so revered him too much, had his eyes too much on him, to be honest with you, that when this guy fall, fell, 
The guy really never recovered from it. 28 years later. And I still know this person who was involved in that. And, and they're, you know, they're, they're saved still. But their walk was never the same. They were stumbled. And you think of the damage that is done through the years. And Paul was so concerned about the people stumbling others. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about the liberties that we have in Christ. You can do a lot in Christ. But if your liberty stumbles somebody else, Paul says, don't do it. Even to the point where Paul says, you know what? If me eating meat stumbles a brethren, I ain't eating meat no more. Now, Paul's a better man than me. I'm telling you right now, you vegans out there, you got a problem with me eating my ribeye? You take it up with Jesus. <laughs> but I'm serious, though. Paul would rather deny himself than stumble somebody. Would God give us that kind of heart? Not to stumble. The damage that has been done through the years, man, by shepherds who have caused others to stumble. Stumbling even out of heaven. So number one, not to stumble in one. Number two, though, Paul's purpose not to misrepresent Christ, the true shepherd. As we know, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago. This must always be in our heart as Christians, as shepherds, guys. Of course, it speaks to the actions, the speech, the behaviors that are going on in our lives. The, the way we treat others that people see in the name of Jesus. The way our lives don't line up with Jesus. Things that are contrary, not a true representation. Paul purposed not to misrepresent Christ. And Paul purposed not to place his needs above the sheep. He would rather deny himself giving opportunity for the sheep. Again, Paul, aware of the false teachers and the way they were acting, determined purposefully not to be a burden. Not to be a burden to these people. He, he wanted to give them no doubt of the sincerity of his ministry. I'm not taking any money from you. I'm not taking nothing from you. I'll supply my own needs. I'm here in my own free will. No one's making me do this. I'm here because I love you. I'm here because I'm a shepherd. He denied himself even when he could have demanded as, a, as an apostle, as he said. So number three, though, Paul's conduct as a shepherd. Verse 10. This just blows me away. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe. You could think that somebody might be bragging here. Hey, man, we were, we were pretty, pretty tight with God in front of you all. But, of course, remember, he's defending and he's, he's rebuffing the, some of the lies around there. No, you guys saw. Not only did you see, you were witness, but God also. In Paul's conduct as a shepherd man, he again reminds them, then calls them as witnesses and, and God to testify in their behalf regarding their behavior. You guys saw how we acted. Well, you knew who we were. Don't listen to the lies. You saw, God saw we, how we behaved ourselves. And, and as shepherds, our conduct or, or behavior are, as Christians must be such that no matter the charge or the accusation, there literally wouldn't be any evidence. We could say, oh, there's not enough evidence. No, there's no evidence. Just as there was no evidence when the false accusations came against Jesus. All lies, all made up. Sad to say, though, of course, we know that many of the pastors that have fallen, the politicians that have fallen, you know, at first what happens? Oh, I unequivocally 
deny any wrongdoing in the situation. And about two days later, what happens? Well, I'll have to resign because all these accusations. I mean, I, I thought about Kumo. I mean, that dude was like, no way, huh? Every single one of them, lie, 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 lie. Oh, the evidence is mounting. More and more people coming forward. More and more evidence. Gone. Gone. Paul describes the proper behavior as a shepherd of a shepherd. Number one, a shepherd is devout or pure. Of course, that means that they lived in a holy manner. Peter himself, chapter 1, says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Man, not some of your conduct, not while you're here at church, all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. All the while, guys, imitating Jesus. A shepherd is devout or pure. Shepherd, number two, is just or righteous. They live doing no wrong. They walk uprightly in obedience to God before men, following what the Word of God says. This is what it says. This is what I do. This is how I act. This is how I talk. This is how I respond. This is how I represent Jesus. Yikes. Number three, a shepherd is blameless or faultless, not perfect. We will not be perfect ever till we get to heaven, but at the same time, not able to find fault. Blameless. Turn two pages to the right. Paul teaches Timothy about the qualifications for a bishop, for an elder. Two pages to the right. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And it's interesting. He says here in verse 1 of chapter 3, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, of a shepherd, of a pastor, of a leader, anything, he desires a good work. Okay? Number two, though. Here it is, though. A bishop then must be blameless. That's the umbrella over this whole passage, blameless. And what does it mean to be blameless? He's the husband of one wife. That doesn't mean he has a couple wives. That means that he is not one who looks after and chases after and has eyes for other women. Husband of one wife. Nah, I ain't playing I ain't messing around. I'm not going after things that shouldn't be. Husband of one wife. Temperate. He's calm, self-controlled, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not given to drugs, not given to none of that stuff, not violent, not ready to shoot people, <laughs> not greedy for money, not covetous, gentle, not quarrelsome. But the umbrella over it all, guys blameless. The conduct of a shepherd, blameless. And this type of conduct, of course, is grossly lacking in the lives of men, home, work, community, public arena, politicians, pastors, you name it. But this should not be the case for men in the church of Jesus Christ, those who call on the name of Jesus. No. We're to be blameless. We should be able to call anybody, anybody, to be our witnesses, friends or your enemies. Think about that. Call up somebody who just hates your guts. Hey, could you come and tell the guys at church here, my brothers, on a Tuesday night, stand up and kind of 
Tell them what you see in my life. Man, friends, coworkers, neighbors. And yes, even the women you work with right now. No evidence. What would they say? What could they say? Something to think about. Some of you guys maybe don't work with women at all, but I think most of us do work with women. What would they say about your behavior, your conduct, my behavior, my conduct as a Christian? Or maybe if they don't even know, what would they say if they found out you were a Christian? Would it be like, what? He's a what? Oh, he's one of those Christians. Woo, smoking. Paul's conduct as a shepherd, man. Unbelievable. Number four, Paul's challenge now in being a shepherd. Verse 11 and 12. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Here it is. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The challenge. As shepherds, this has got to be our greatest challenge Really, guys, to see that nobody misses heaven. Nobody. That they would walk worthy. The ultimate goal of a Christian man. No greater purpose, no greater challenge, of course. Because, guys, when it comes right down to it, it's for all eternity. We, we forget that sometimes. It's only one of two places. You know, the, the world and, and the universal church and Every, all that's pointing to, you know what? Just be good and you're going to go to heaven. I'll guarantee you, every funeral that I do, not a single person gets up there and says, man, this guy's smoking. He's like, he's on fire right now. No. He's, and they're all in heaven. It's a tough deal when you do those funerals and, you know, you preach the gospel, you know, of course, only God knows, but. In your heart, you know, you just know. And yet the ones that you do where it's like, man, this person is jumping for joy in front of Jesus right now. Man, only one place or the other. One place or the other, heaven or hell. The challenge in being a shepherd. Paul wanted all, number one, to become spiritual, to come to spiritual maturity. All of them. So that he would walk in a manner that would honor God, that would please God, that would represent God, in a manner that would speak of the assurance of their salvation as well. That the fruit of the Spirit would be evident. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Evidence, guys. Fruit that we are saved. Paul wanted all to come to spiritual maturity. Number two, Paul taught as a father, though. He loved like a nursing mother. He taught like a training father. Number one, Paul exhorted. He exhorts, speaks of coming alongside and and telling him not to give up. I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but in game four of the the series that the Dodgers were in when um, Justin Turner hit that hit and pulled up, you know, at first base and his hamstrings, and he comes back and you watch the camera, and he's walking through the dugout and he's barely making it. Nobody's helping him. But then you see Albert Pujols. Man, that guy is impressing me so much watching him on fire for Jesus. No doubt. He doesn't need to play the game anymore. He's there representing Jesus. And we see in the camera, 
Justin's coming this way, and, and Albert follows him. Then I saw on an Instagram post on the um, Dodger Nation app, there's, there's a picture of Pujols holding up Turner, walking him down the stairs. No one else came. No one came to his aid. Pujols did. The man of Jesus right there. Man. Comforting, exhorting. Paul comforts. He means you encourage to action, to keep up, to keep going. He encourages. He comforts these guys. Like, like uh, any of you have ever ran in a, um, a race, you know, along the course, they got those aid stations there when they're handing you the water and they're cheering you on and you're ready to die and you just want to trade places one of those people behind the table there and yet they're there. That's what he's talking about. Paul exhorts, Paul comforts, but also Paul charges. Means to make an earnest or solemn appeal. As a father would his son to do the right thing, to make the right choices. Paul charges them. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does that you would walk worthy. That you would walk worthy. And Paul, number three, was purposeful in his teaching. His plan, his purpose, that they would walk worthy. Of the one who came and died and gave his life. That, that, that you would live your lives in such a way as to bring honor and glory to God in heaven. A true representation. So some application for us tonight. I want you to remember, the Lord is your shepherd. Okay? Yes, we're to be shepherds, but remember, he is our shepherd. In the 23rd Psalm, such a wonderful song. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So as a shepherd in turn, then my heart has to be to help others so that they're not in want. Amen? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Speaks of comforting. Speaks of, of bringing peace into people's lives instead of turmoil and, and heartache and drama. No. Leading someone beside the still waters. Making them lie down in the green pastures. Doesn't that just make you just want to fall asleep right here? It's like, oh, man. There's so, so many times I quote that passage of Scripture in the middle of the night, in the, in the night watches, when life and circumstances awaken you, and you sit there and you're fretting and you're worrying. Maybe it's about a son or a daughter or some situation going on in your life, and I just sit there picturing Jesus at the foot of my bed, and I just quote that passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil. Why? He is with us. As a shepherd, that's the kind of comfort, that's the kind of, of shepherding we need to do to people. Remember, he's our shepherd, and we see that as an example. So because he's our shepherd, this is how we shepherd others. As his disciples, desiring to represent him, this is how we shepherd him. We, we show God's love to others. His love is coming through us, comes to light. And, and oftentimes, this is how people experience God's love, through you. They experience this love, this, well, man, 
this guy is different. There's something about his life. He's, he's helping me. And then we point him to Jesus. And then they, in turn, come to know this God, this shepherd, and they experience it for themselves. This is how we shepherd others, guys. Through those who have been loved by him. Remember Jesus said, greater love is no man than this. And what? That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Paul did for the Thessalonians, for the church as well. That's what we need to do for others. There's a man whose name I'll never forget, David Rand. It's a long story. He's a doctor here in Torrance, um, but I'll make it short. As a doctor, me being a pastor, he showed me truly what it was to be a shepherd. Back in 2003, I'm going through my second bout of back problems that ended again in another surgery, but in the situation through the normal processes of, of, I got a back injury, you start going to the doctor, and before you know it, okay, well, in a month, you'll see the doctor. In another month, you'll get your MRI, and all this, I mean, this thing was just dragging. I was dying, and we'd known this doctor through um, our, the, the school that our boys went to. My wife was friends with his wife. We didn't really know him so much, but... He heard about my situation, and he's an internist. He's an infectious disease doctor, not a back doctor. But his wife shares with him what's going on with me and that I can't get anywhere. I can't get the doctor to see me. I can't, and I'm dying. He, I finally get my MRI. He gets it, and he reads it, calls me into his office. You're in bad shape. This is before my MRI was even read by my doctor. And then I finally get to my doctor who finally, you know, refers me. Now, yeah, you better go see the neurosurgeon. So, but this doctor, call, he calls me in. He starts taking care of me. He tells me this is that. He's prescribing medicine for me that my other doctor wouldn't even take care of me with because he knew how bad it was. So I get, I get to the doctor, my regular doctor, the general doctor. He refers me to the neurosurgeon. I call him up. Man, I need to see the doctor, blah, blah, blah. Okay, first appointment. You guys have all heard this. How long do I got to wait? <laughs> Man. And, and I tell Cheryl, Cheryl tells his wife, he calls the doctor that I just made an appointment with for another month. At a wait a month. He knew this guy. I was in in two days. He got me in in two days. This is a man who was a shepherd, you guys. And this is how crazy it was. So I go see that doctor in two days. He does the examination. And I'm in such bad shape, I can't hardly even make it out of the doctor's office. I finally get home. I get on bed. My wife calls me. How'd the appointment go? Cheryl, I'm done. I, I can't even get up to go to the bathroom. I, I'm hurting so, so bad. Well, this doctor, knowing what medication he had me on and everything, Cheryl calls her friend. Her friend calls her husband. He calls and tells her, you call Rob and tell him, call 911 don't drive yourself with as bad as you are, you are you're in danger of, of crippling yourself. And he says, call 911. You tell them when you get to ER that me, Dr. Rand, has told you to be there and that I'm admitting you. This guy so took care of me. Ambulance came, rushed me to Torrance Memorial. I had to wait four days for... A, a, date, a day to open up for the surgery, but this guy made it happen. 
Man, I'm telling you guys, that's the kind of shepherding we need to do. And I'll never forget the guy. Never. Saved my life, really, in, in so many ways. It's like, man, didn't have to. Wasn't even, and yet, the calling of God on his life as a doctor so impressed me that, man, guys, this is, this is, this is a practical way that we can be shepherds to others. And so the question tonight, do you have that heart? Well, most of us don't, but most of us want that heart. So all we need to do, number three, guys, pray and ask the Lord. To give you the heart of shepherd, it's his heart. Ask him to make it your heart as well. Guys, your families, your friends, your community, this world needs true shepherds. They're going to love people to the end. They're going to help them. They're going to bring them, come alongside them, pointing them to Jesus, getting them saved, getting them lined up for eternal life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Get you guys into your groups. Father, again, we thank you so much for Paul. Thank you for the heart that these men had, the examples that they were. Demonstrated, Lord, how they would, they gave their lives their very lives for the sake of the gospel, to be shepherds, to minister to your sheep, Lord. We pray, God, that even tonight you would speak to our hearts, Lord. You would show us ways. You would show us what we can do. You can give us those hearts, God, right now. Heart like yours for us. So bless, Lord, we pray. Be with the guys. Encourage them in their group times. Watch over, we pray. Continue ministering. And, Lord, as we walk through this world, through this South Bay area, Lord, let people see in us true shepherds, Lord, those who love you and those who love your sheep. Bless we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.